We ready? Psalms 126, verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Everybody say seed. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach my heart to you of what the Lord has spoken to my spirit. It's in our hands. It's in our hands. Would you lay your Bibles down, lift your voice, your hearts, and your hands toward heaven before we're seated. And would you begin to cry out to the Lord one more time. Come on, lift your voice. Father, we need you now. God bless you. You may be seated. I leaned over to Brother Scott. If you were not hearing this morning's message from Brother Scott, what a tremendous message. What a tremendous message. Thank you. I, he told me I could have his extra time. So we're here for the long haul. The Psalms are without equal in Scripture in regard to their richness of illustration. Unfortunately, many of the incredible truths contained within the poetic language of the psalmist is lost in the transition to our language and our culture. Because of the Psalms are best viewed when they can be seen through the lens of the author's personal experience. It is often difficult to catch such a glimpse of the Psalms. However, when it happens, it opens the doors of understanding at a whole new level. Our text tonight of Psalms 126 represents one such passage of Scripture. Sowing and weeping are not readily connected in the Western mind. Rarely have there been occasions in American history or in our frame of understanding where the sower went to the field to spread his precious seed with weeping and sorrow. Therefore, the real impact of the psalmist's words are somewhat reduced because of our limited realm of experience. There was once a story of a missionary that served 14 years in West Africa His experience there gave him a unique opportunity to glimpse one Psalms 126 within a context that must have been similar to the experience of the original author. He worked in a vast stretch of the savannah, more than 4,000 miles wide, just under the Sahara Desert. In that all that area of the moisture comes in, In a four-month period, May, June, July, and August. After those four months, not one drop of rain falls for eight months. The ground begins to crack from dryness. And your hands and your feet begin to crack because there is literally no moisture in the atmosphere. 
The winds of the Sahara pick up the dust and they throw it thousands of feet into the air. It then becomes slowly drifting across West Africa as a very, very fine grit. This frying grit gets into your mouth. It gets into your nose. It even gets as deep in, as into your lungs. If you have a watch or a phone, it becomes overwhelmed with this grit from this wind. The year's supply of food must all be grown within these four months of rain season. The people there of West Africa would grow sorghum and milo in small fields. It's when he related his experience, he said that October and November are absolutely beautiful months. Those are the months that know the know, they know the bounty of all the harvest. It is during those months that the granaries are full. The joyous harvest has arrived. The people sing and dance because there is an assurance that there's food in the bin. They began to eat two meals a day. The sorghum is then ground into between two stones to make flour and then a mush with a consistency of cream of wheat as it is prepared. The sticky mush is eaten hot. They roll it into little balls between their fingers and they dip it into a little bit of sauce and then they pop it into their mouths. Now, I pause here with a grin on my face because someone asked me, not going to mention any names, am I going to bring up food in my sermon? And after apologize, I said, no, I don't think so. I forgot that I wrote this in there. The Lord knows what he's doing in the house. <laughs> the meals lie heavy on their stomachs and they sleep the sleep of the contented. All is well on the Sahara Desert. Then December comes and the granaries start to recede and many families omit the morning meal. Now certainly by January, not one family in 50 is now still eating two meals a day. By February, the evening meal diminishes. The meals shrink more and more during March and the children succumb to sickness. So you don't stay very healthy on half a meal a day. That's why coming on Sunday mornings alone or Sunday nights alone isn't enough to keep you spiritually healthy. You got to dig into the word of God every single day. He said, my cup runneth over. April is the month when disaster begins to strike. The images of April, according to this seasoned missionary, are haunting. It's in April you hear the babies crying in the twilight hour. Most of the days are passed with only an evening cup of gruel. Then inevitably it happens. A six or seven year old boy comes running to his father with a sudden bit of excitement in his voice and a dance in his step. And he says, Daddy, Daddy, we've got grain. He shouts aloud from across the field. Son, the father says, you know, we haven't had grain for weeks. Yes, we have, Dad. We have grain. He insistently commits those words to be put into action of his father. He says, Dad, out in the hut where we keep the goats, there's a leather sack hanging up on the wall. It's got grain in it, Dad. 
He said, I know it does because I've reached my hand into it and I felt around on the grain. We can eat one more meal, Dad. He said, Daddy, there's grain. I know what you can do, Dad. I've got a plan. Don't you know, kids always have a plan before they come to you. He says, Daddy, I got a plan. You can give it to Mom. Mom will take it. She'll make it into flour. And tonight our tummies will sleep. The father stands there motionless, almost as if he was deaf to the cry of his son. And then he speaks. He says, son, we can't do that. That's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting, son, for the rains. And then we take that one bag of grain and we use it. The rains finally arrived a couple weeks later in May. And when they do, the young boy watches as his father takes what seemed to be the hope of a promise of another meal. He takes that sack of precious seed and he goes out into the field and does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened and hungry and almost starved family. The father goes to the field and with tears streaming down his face, he takes the precious seed and he begins to cast it. He scatters it upon the dirt. They've not had rain in months. His, his wife, his children are basically starving and he stands there casting seed upon a dry ground because now the rain has come. But there is his son watching him cast seed which could fulfill a momentary pleasure. Why would a father do that? Why didn't he say, son, you need to go inside now. I don't want to disrupt you. I don't want to upset you with what I'm about to do. Because the father believes in the harvest. He understands the simple principle that if there is no weeping, there will be no reaping. If there is no reaping, there will be no sowing. We cannot have reaping without sowing. He understood this. The seed is mine. I own the seed. I can do whatever I want with this seed. See, the act of casting this seed hurts the father so bad he begins to weep. However, the agony, he, he throws the seed into the dirt. His son stands there and watches. Both are crying. He sows the seed upon the ground because the father understands that if you don't reap, weep, you haven't sown. His family may be desperately hungry today, but the only hope for their future lies in not consuming the meager supply of grain, but instead of sowing it. Can I preach to moms and dads for a moment? We cannot allow ourselves to let down on what we have convictions over and what we believe to be the truth in order to satisfy a temporary, momentary pleasure for our children. There is a generation that's coming up that's looking to see how we Handle the seed. The principle of sowing and reaping is one of the most, one of those biblical themes that spans the whole of Scripture across both testaments. 
First, the chapter of the Bible, God introduces the concept of seed and harvest. Genesis 1 and 11 and 12, he says, let the earth bring forth grass. The herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. I don't know about you tonight, but I want to be a part of a church that casts seed. That produces the same thing that is being preached, that is being prayed, that is being worshipped. I want to see a replication of revival in our worship. I want to see a replication of the gifts of the Spirit as they are done from each and every one of us. It's our time to cast our seed. From that day until now, every species of grass, herbs, and trees still produce after its kind. Can I tell you, there's not a devil in hell. There's not a fleshly being on this earth that can stop the reproduction of what God has inputted in this church. If we are willing to die out to the kingdom of God and say, Lord, I am yours. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to be, I will be that very thing it is an absolute law which is true in every part of the world an apple tree cannot produce an orange a banana tree cannot produce a pineapple it was created to produce that which its seed was God established the same law among the creatures which have had the oceans and the seas for their natural habitat. Genesis 1, the same chapter, verse 20 and 21. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that bathes life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great wells and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Everything that God created produces seed and reproduces after his kind. It's a simple, simple principle of life. As often as the case is, what God set in order in the physical world mirrors a spiritual reality. As followers of Christ, it is our due diligence and calling. Indeed, it is our purpose to spread the gospel, to make disciples of other men. As born-again believers, we have a mandate from heaven above to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our church is not in this city just for fellowship. Our church is not in this city just for community service. It's not here just to provide food through a food bank. Although we may do all of these things, the church is here to spread the wonderful truth of Jesus Christ. We are called to reap the harvest that is around us. We are called to produce believers. However, tonight I believe there is a lesson to be learned from the weeping sower of Psalms 126. It doesn't matter how bad you want to harvest. 
It doesn't matter how earnestly you long and yearn for revival. The simple, plain truth is this. If there is no sowing of the precious seed, there will be no reaping and rejoicing. There must be sowing before there's reaping. It's a basic concept. I did not come tonight to woo you with words of great wisdom. I did not come to preach something new. I've come to share with you what God has been putting in my spirit for months. I've got to get out of the four walls of the church. I've got to get out of my Monday, out of my Tuesday, out of my Wednesday, Monday lifestyle. And I've got to take the gospel to the streets. I've got to take the church to my job. I got to take the church to my grocery store. I got to take the gospel all over the world. We can't sit back and wait for harvest to blossom within this sanctuary. We got to go out and we must sow the seed. Would you lift your hands right now to the Lord all over the building? By the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, I declare and decree a liberty right now in this house. In the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, lift your voice right now. God has something. He's got a word to speak to this church. In the name of Jesus, 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 I've got a word. You've been sowing in prayer. God's about to let you reap it with your eyes. You've been sowing in fasting, and God's about to let you see the resurrection of your harvest. You've been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing, but you've been looking at empty grain bins saying, God, when will the rain come? God sent me to tell you it's in your hands. <laughs> I can't do it for you. I can't cast your seed. I can't cast your faith. I can't cast your miracle. I can't cast your revival. All I can do is tell you to cast the seed that's in your hand. See, the problem is we live in an instant generation. I'm guilty. We live in a now. We want food done now. Even though fast food is not really fast food anymore. We pull up to the window in hopes that the fries will be hot. I just lost it right there. (laughs) We live in a generation that wants to know everything about everybody at the touch of a thumbprint. 
at the look of a face scan of an iPhone or however your phone accesses information. We live in an instant generation. A generation that just wants to fulfill the here and the now. We want immediate results. But sowing and reaping are separated by a thing called time. I remember, I remember, I remember sleeping in my, I remember, oh man, it was a hot rod of a truck. It wasn't my 1970 Dodge Ram D50 that the door handles were broke. It wasn't that hot rod. It was a 1992 GMC Sonoma V6 3.8 liter. I was cool. Yes, I know. Had racing stripes on it. That thing was fast. I remember the night. Sunday night we had a blowout service and I remember everybody else was going home and I went back to my vehicle to sleep. And I remember sitting in there saying, God, why? Why? Why am I stuck in this? Why am I here and now? And I learned a long time ago what I was doing. I did not know, but I was sowing. I was sowing. God was putting something in my spirit such as some of you have had. You've been through trials. You've been sick in your body. You've been in financial woes and marital woes and career woes. But the whole time you've been saying, God, why? Why is this happening to me when it seems like everybody else is blessed? You don't understand the distance of time but from when they sowed to the time they were reaping. You can't measure God's blessing on what you have now. You need to measure God's blessing on the seed that you've casted on a daily basis because your miracle is not a five minute, 30 second popcorn bag. It's a separation of sowing into the kingdom and reaping it a time later. You want to know what I feel in the Holy Ghost? New Life Fellowship for years and years and years has been sowing and sowing and sowing. And we've seen, Brother Grant, a portion of the miraculous. We've seen a portion of revival. But as I look across this building, God is not done yet. There is a reaping that's about to take place. I said there's a reaping. It's not just a reaping of those being filled with the Holy Ghost. There's a financial reaping coming. There's a reaping of healings. I wish I had two or three people that would believe that with me. There's a reaping. There's a reaping of the gifts of the Spirit because the pastor and the ministry team and the saints of God have been sowing. They've had their face in the carpet saying, God, we want a miracle. It's in our hands. Uh, When the farmer sows into his field, he does so by faith. Brother Coffey can help me to attest to this. When that corn, expensive corn or soybeans or wheat, whatever is put onto that tractor and plowed and dissed up and they plant those lines, pray that one day they'll have the right amount of rain. They'll have the right amount of humidity, the right amount of heat, that all the variables that God will put them together. That in due season. In due season. 
They're going to go out there after they've done their part. After farmers have spent hours and countless nights in their tractors with the lights on. Plowing, plowing, plowing. Plowing. The soil is hard, but they're plowing. The soil is difficult. They're plowing. There's rocks in the way. There's obstacles in the way, but they keep plowing and they keep plowing and they keep plowing because they know that if I can plow hard enough and if I can continue to do what I know to do and I put the seed in the ground, there's going to come a time where that bean, that seed is going to come up out of the ground and it's going to show forth what it's intended to be. What I'm telling you is that we are proud and we are proud and we are proud. We fought words. We fought actions. We fought devils. We've even fought some setbacks, but we've plowed and we've plowed and now we're planting seeds and we're planting seeds. And in a moment, God is about to show us just what he's going to do for our church. See, Jesus showed the, shared the parable of the sower. In it, the sower sows indiscriminately. He sows everywhere he can. When I was about, mm, I don't know, maybe nine years old, we lived in the middle of nowhere. When I say middle of nowhere, it's not like today. Our closest neighbor was like two and a half miles away. We lived on an old dirt track. You came this way that I remember it clear as day. I thought, I wonder what would happen if I put gasoline in this Mountain Dew bottle. <laughs> How long would the wick have to be for me to run? Then I used my mom's good doormats to try to put the fire out and it didn't work. The water hose surely wasn't long enough and I didn't have Jesus. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that, it wasn't the mat that my, I was scared of my mat. The mat my mom had uh, didn't do it. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember I got a job one summer. I think I was around nine years old. And my job was simply this. In North Carolina, there's tobacco fields everywhere. Everywhere is a tobacco field. And I remember they didn't have these cool things you sit on now to hold your drink and you watch it, put it in the thing, brother coffee. They didn't have that. I was the kid that had a little stick and I walked behind a tobacco planter all day and I pushed the root in the ground. I looked like I walked acres upon acres and I wish I could have kept that weight off. <laughs> I just pushed that in the ground to make sure that seed was down where it needed to be. I kept doing it. You know how much I made? I made $3 a day. Thank you, Jesus. But that farmer... Farmers today have machines that precisely lay the seed out. They don't just sow anywhere. But Jesus said that this sower sows everywhere he can. He sows in the knowledge that three quarters of the seed he sows will never produce seed. But he sows. Jesus himself applied the truths of this spiritual principle based upon physical reality. He told the disciples that the seed was the word of God. This seed is the glorious gospel of truth that we have. Somebody say amen. amen. Can I tell somebody that it works? The message works. The death, the burial, and the resurrection still works. If we will share it. 
With the passing of time, it will produce results. What we need is a simple mindset of revival of faith of the sower. We simply sow the seed everywhere, anywhere, somewhere. We sow the seed in every situation with every opportunity and as often we, as we can. Romans 5 and 9 says, as, tells us that as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And that by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This verse it finds its application in the life and death of Jesus Christ. However, the principle of sowing and reaping is active in this verse as well. Jesus was the ultimate seed that was sown with weeping. (laughs) Isaiah said he was a man of sorrows, much acquainted with grief. He was bruised for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. As the ultimate seed of eternal life, he was sown into the ground with weeping and emerged with rejoicing. The same principle finds its application in the life and the subsequent death of every believer. Jesus told his disciples in John 24, 12 and 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We are called to produce fruit because we are called to produce believers. It's not just our desire to have revival. It's our mandate from God to have revival. If we aren't having revival, we aren't reaching our city. If we aren't fulfilling our purpose, we are being brought into the kingdom of God. In light of that simple truth, I want to remind you here tonight that there can be no harvest There will be no revival unless we are busy about the business of sowing seed. There will be no guests if we don't invite them. There will never be a yes unless you hear many no's. There will never be conversions if we don't teach them. There will never be baptisms if we don't share what we've been given. And we've been given a seed. The harvest is in our hands. We will reap what we sow, and we will reap only as much as we sow. Heard a story today of a man and woman that when they first got married, they really didn't think they wanted any children. They said, you know, we're we're okay, We're, we're fine, we don't want any children. And then all of a sudden, it was like God flipped an eternal desire inside of them and they both said at the same time, we want to have a family. We want to expand our family. And at their church, there was a time where they were getting ready to give sacrificially. And they named their sacrificial giving the expansion gift. They said, God, we're giving sacrificially. And they said, we're not talking $100. We're talking we gave money we did not have, nor would we have at any given point. They gave it with the belief that if we sow into the kingdom, God's going to let us reap a harvest. Six days later, they went to the doctor after sowing a seed of financial giving and found out after months and months of trying, they found out that they were with child, that they were going to have a baby. And they said, don't let me sit here and tell you that God cannot do it. 
We sowed and sowed without even knowing that God was really going to do it. But we had enough belief and we had enough faith that if we sowed into the kingdom, God was going to grant our request. The Bible says he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But where there is much sowing, there will be much reaping. I believe that our biggest obstacle as a church is not the culture that we face or the sins and the spirits that we overcome. I believe our biggest obstacle is our own aversion to the simple work of sowing the seed. In the spirit of political correctness, we've allowed ourselves to be conditioned not to sow the seed. Don't offend anybody. (laughs) Just love Jesus. Don't offend anybody with what the Bible says. Because your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. No, no, there's only one truth. And that truth is hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. That truth is repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children. That is the truth. In the interest of tolerance in order to get along and blend in, we've been sold a bill of goods that says it's not appropriate to be a constant evangelist of this incredible life-changing truth. We've been sold a bill of goods that says just sit back and relax. Relax. Just calm down. Just come to church and you get what you need and keep it there and go about your way after service. We can sit back and we can wonder all day long where the days of revival have gone. We can lament the passing of the great awakenings and long for the church services of yesteryear. But my friend, my brothers and my sisters, the fact is that we will never see the kind of expansion and growth that God desires to give us until we become unapologetically apostolic evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be what saves me. I want to be what God Hold me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Revival follows on the heels of sowing. If we are faithful to spread the word, to share this truth at every possible moment with as many people as we can, God will bring into our lives. We will reap in due season if we continue to sow. This is the promise of God. This is the cultivation cultivation of the principle. You reap what you sow. This is the simple fact that sends the West African father into the field bearing a one small leather bag of precious seed. This is the simple truth that drives him to mingle with his tears the seed in the mud of the earth with the absolute faith that a revival is going to come from this. The bottom line is this. We will not have and cannot have an unprecedented apostolic revival until we adopt again the apostolic principles of authentic evangelism. The early church discovered the most wonderful revelation ever given in the power and the glory of the gospel. 
Everywhere they went, they shared it. They shared it in the markets. They shared it in the synagogues. They shared it in the streets. They shared it in the homes. Anybody that would listen heard the wonderful truth of the saving name of Jesus. The jailers heard it. The tormentors were not spared from this gospel. They spread their message everywhere. And it spread like a wildfire through all of Rome until they refer, referred to as the men who turned the world upside down. Simple truth is this. We must go back to the book of Acts. We must take up the mantle of evangelism and go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. I want to tell the students something. I remember when I first got in church, I, I, I've always asked a lot of questions. Always have. I've very, always been inquisitive. I always talked a lot. I get a couple laughs and amens because it's the truth. I'll be the first to admit it. But I remember when I got in church, I didn't really know what I got. I knew I received the Holy Ghost, but I remember going to school and I was very timid about going back to school because now I wasn't the same Tim. I wasn't the fighter. I wasn't the cusser. I wasn't the thief. I wasn't the one kid that everybody was afraid to look at. Now I was Holy Ghost filled. I had the love of God. I had something that I wanted to share to the whole world. But I was intimidated because I was the Lone Ranger and I had no tanto. I had nobody to partner up with me and walk the hallways and say, I am apostolic. I remember it was one day in biology class. Maybe I told this, so bear with me if I have. I had my head down because everybody loves biology. I had my head on my desk and... I was almost asleep. I don't remember what the teacher was talking about. The Lord spoke to me and he said, every moment you waste is a moment you can never get back to share who I am. And it was from that moment, I walked the hallways. I didn't go around with tracks. I did it with wisdom. God gave me some wisdom. I would sit down at lunch. Yes, by myself. And I opened up my Bible and I just began to read. I have my Oh man, I love those little, ah, here I am with food again. I love those little, pe- those square pizzas. They, yes, thank you. These generation kids are like, what a square pizza. You don't know heaven until you had a square pizza at school lunch. It was like a Frisbee, but it was good. And I sat there with my Bible and I would eat my pizza. I would dip it in ranch. (laughs) And I just had my Bible there. I wasn't trying to do anything for a show. I just, I didn't know what I was reading. The who's and the thou's and the whom's and the wow's. And I didn't know. I just read to read because I wanted to put something in me. And I began to read and a friend would come by and goes, Tim, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm eating lunch. No, what are you doing? I'm reading the Bible. Why would you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because about two weeks ago, I was at a Pentecostal church. Do you know what Pentecostal church is? Because I didn't know what a Pentecostal church was. It's these people that are crazy. They shout and they run the aisles. Hairpins are flying. Shoes are flying. They're running back and forth. They're dancing. They're shouting. The preacher screams a lot. He goes, no, man, I've never been in that. I said, bro, you would love it. He goes, 
What did you think about it? I said, I gripped the seat as wide as my knuckle would go because I was scared of it. But you know what happened last Sunday, a couple Sundays ago? I was there. I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of panicked a little bit because people run around talking in a funny language. And then all of a sudden, God got a hold of me. He goes, what do you mean God got a hold of you? I said, I don't know how to explain it. My heart got heavy. I had a lump in my throat. That's old time conviction. And I stood there and I couldn't hardly breathe or swallow. He goes, oh my gosh, did you about die? I said, I thought I was. He said, what did you do? I said, I didn't know what to do. So I stepped out of my seat and I walked down to the front all by myself and I just stood there. He goes, then what happened? I said, I began to cry and I began to weep. And somebody was saying, let go and hold on and give it to God and he'll take it. I didn't know what to do, but I stood there and I lifted up my voice. He said, yeah. I had him on the edge. He said, yeah. I said, and then I said, God, I'm sorry. And he goes, yeah. I said, he forgave all of my sins. He said, you don't say. I said, yeah, but that's just the start. He goes, what happened? I said, I stepped out of that altar after about 30 seconds. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I spoke in this funny language. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, but it feels good. What's it feel like? I said, I don't know. It feels good. Come on, somebody. How many remember when you first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? How many are thankful that somebody sowed a testimony into your life? How many remember when you spoke in tongues for the first time? I can't explain it, but I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. it. I'm moving quickly for the sake of time. That one young man turned into two, turned into five, turned into ten. I made up in my mind. God, my time is short. I want to start sowing seeds. Twenty plus year later, years later, those some of those same young men are still in the church today. They didn't come. Some of them didn't come immediately. But I kept sowing prayer. And I kept sowing in worship. And dedication. And faithfulness. And in due season, they reap. I'm almost done. Stand with me so I give you a little bit of faith that I'm closing. The revival, the harvest is in our hands. Uh, Here's what God has spoken to my spirit a couple weeks ago in prayer. It's Revelation 3, verse 7 and 8. I said all that. Maybe even bored you with all that to get to this point right here. That you know it's in your hands. But this is the word that God gave me. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write... These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast denied my name. Has not denied my name. God said, I know what you've been doing. Your labor is not in vain. 
Your efforts have not gone unnoticed. I've got my eyes on you, church. I know your works. The great God of heaven, the God that said, let there be light and there was light. The God that spoke all things into existence has his eye on us. He said, I know thy works. I've heard your prayers. I'm aware of your earnest plea. I've watched your faithfulness. Sometimes we get the mistaken notion that we live in a vacuum and that our lives will surmount to nothing. But I want you to hear me tonight. You are precious to God. He has his eye on you. He has his eye on every prodigal. He said, I know your works. I know them. I know everything about you. And because I know you, I've set before you an open door. Here's the words that God told me to tell New Life tonight. That I am, you are, and we are. These two words. We are divinely positioned to reap what we have sown. That we are no longer waiting for position to take place for the right moment for the crossroads of time and chance to happen but we are divinely positioned to reap what we have sown I've come tonight to encourage the church not only that revival is ours not only that everything we've been hungry for is getting ready to take shape that God is going to open the windows yea God's even going to open the gate of heaven and he's about to pour blessing out on this house that we cannot contain he said I've set before you an open door the door's open the question lies this it's in your hands what will you do will you walk through that door it's a door it's open I close with this a few years ago, Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point. The premise of the book behind, behind the book was to focus on that one dramatic moment in time when everything could change all at once. It is the moment of critical mass, the threshold, the boiling point. It is the place where the unexpected becomes reality, where the radical change occurs. It is the place where... With absolutely no forewarning, the entire world can change as a result of one small, seemingly insignificant event. It is symbolized in the book by that one single lone snowflake that comes drifting from the sky and lightly settles upon the mountain of snow that hangs precariously over the mighty precipice. The snowflake in and of itself isn't much. It doesn't weigh that much at all. It has only a little strength. But when its minute weight settles on that mighty mountain of snow that has been accumulating time after time after time, day after day, snowfall after snowfall, snow begins to compile, waiting for that one snowflake. To hit that mighty mountain of snow. It alone is the difference between calm and chaos. Its fragile weight is just enough to cause the collapse that results in an avalanche that becomes a thunderous, powerful 
force that obliterates an entire mountainside. All because one simple snowflake hit the tipping point. By definition, it generates effects that are greatly disproportionate to the cause. That's where we are. We're at a tipping point. We're at the point where we've generated enough effects that are about to be greatly disproportionate to the cause that we've been having. What are you saying, Brother Barbara? I'm saying this. We're getting ready to reap results that are greatly disproportionate to who and what we are. We've not seen enough wheelchairs. We've not seen crutches on the walls yet. We've seen few, 10, 20 miracles happen. But that's not the tipping point. We are divinely positioned right now, August the 4th, 2019. We are positioned to have the greatest revival that Vigo County has ever seen. That Indiana has ever seen. That the Midwest has ever seen. Youth group. Students, hear me. I will speak what I saw today to the church. What I walked into when I took pick up my son today was probably the greatest sight I've ever seen in my life. And I've been in some phenomenal church services. But that to walk in and hear the roar. I thought when I got out of my car, Brother Grant, that it was music blaring. I thought it was people singing and shouting. and I thought it was a roar of the sound system, but oh no, it wasn't. It was a cry of hungry students travailing, prophesying, proclaiming, God, it's in our hands. What are we going to do with it? You want to know what they did with it? They stepped through the door that God has opened. God has opened the door not only to our students. God's going to double them, triple them. We're going to have... We're not going to have a building big enough to house the students that God is... I'm telling you, the reaping is going to be disproportionate to who we are. And to the church, when the kids come, the parents come. I've always said in bus routes, if I can win the kids, I can get the parents. The harvest is in our hands. We can't wait. I'm just going to be plain. Am I okay? I'm going to be real with you. We can't wait for a great sermon to happen. We can't wait, wait for the right song to happen. We can't wait for the everything, all the proverbial stars to align in our life. To our finances are just right. Our kids are doing right. Our career is okay. No, we got to continue to cast the seed. Because God says, you are divinely positioned for a miracle. You are designed, divinely positioned for an outpouring of my spirit. I asked this question to New Life. God said there's an open door. Who's going to step through it to this altar today? night who's gonna say God I see that it's in my hands I see that what I need is in my hands I step through the open door I step through it God I'm walking into my miracle I'm walking into my miracle I'm walking into it now 
Because God, I'm divinely positioned to do, God, what you've called me to do. Come on, Mom. Those tears you've sown are going to be reaped. Come on, Dad. That faithfulness that you've sown into, you've cast it by faith, thinking one day it's going to make a difference. It's on its way. The harvest is ours. The harvest is in our hands. It's on its way. My children are coming back. My finances are going to be blessed. My home is going to be blessed. My city's going to be blessed. It's in my hands. Come on, church, begin to travail right now. Begin to cry out unto God.